This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100bogart.com. Hey, this is Hannah Forden. I'm the program manager here at Heritage Radio Network. This year, we're celebrating HRN's 10th anniversary, and I want to thank all of our listeners and members for being a part of an incredible year of food radio. We never would have made it this far without all of you. So HRN is now in its summer fun drive, and this is when we turn to you and ask that you make a donation to help ensure a bright future for food radio. Whether you listen to one show or 20, there's a reason why you keep tuning in week after week. All of our content is powered by a small nonprofit, and we rely on your generosity to keep going. Help us keep broadcasting the most thought-provoking, entertaining, and educational conversations happening in the world of food and beverage. So become a member today. To celebrate our 10th anniversary, we have some brand new member gifts available online, so I encourage you to snag your new favorite pizza-themed t-shirt or enamel pin today and show the world how much you love HRN. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate so you can snag your 10th anniversary member swag. And thank you. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show tracing the stories behind your favorite Asian foods. I'm your host, Linda Liu. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Every episode, we dig deep on an aspect of Asian cuisine or culture by having a conversation with the passionate people from the world of Asian food. Although, tonight we are doing something out of the ordinary. Instead of our typical chef and restaurateur guests, we have our first episode featuring artists. Specifically, a couple Asian-American illustrators with very distinct styles, inspired by city life, travel, and of course, Asian food. Here in the studio with me is James Yang. Now, if you ride the New York City subways like I do, then you've probably spent many hours staring at his work, as his whimsical and bright illustrations are plastered on the insides of many subway trains. You know, the ones where the subway line letters and numbers look like billiard balls and are being thrown around by nets attached to subway train cars flying across the iconic New York City skyline. (laughs) James, who is a second-gen Korean-American, was born in Oklahoma and graduated from Virginia Commonwealth University with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in Communication Arts and Design. James has won over 250 awards for design and illustration, including Best of Show from 3x3 magazine. He has taught and lectured at a variety of institutions, including SVA, Parsons, FIT, SCAD, and was an executive board member for ICON, a biennial illustration conference. His latest book, Bus Stop, was selected as an outstanding picture book by the New York Times, and James currently lives in Brooklyn, where he happily works for a variety of clients and books. Welcome, James. Hey, thanks a lot for inviting me. Yeah, of course. 
Also on the line with us is Taiwanese-American-born Jonathan J. Lee. Jonathan and I actually went to the same high school in Hong Kong. He was a star illustrator then and is still ever the star illustrator now. Recently, I've been mesmerized by his street scenes depicting Asian food, which capture everything I miss about Asia in a sensory and nostalgic way. Based in Hong Kong currently, Jonathan graduated with departmental honors in illustration from Parsons here in New York. And Jonathan's clients have included Marvel Comics, Mercedes, San Miguel, Lamborghini, Lee Kum Kee, HSBC, just to name a few. Jonathan also teaches courses as a professor at SCAD in Hong Kong. And Lurtzer's archive included him in their list of the 200 best illustrators worldwide. Although based in Hong Kong, we're dialing Jonathan in from Singapore. Welcome, Jonathan. What are you doing in Singapore? Hi, Linda. I'm actually here on a project. What's this project? Uh, it's actually for a restaurant called Izzy Bar and Restaurant. It's an izakaya with a partnership with this really cool local kind of uh, tasu place in town here. Oh, amazing. So how long are you there for? I'm only here for, for the week, and then I'll return to Hong Kong to finish the project. Oh, I see. Um, okay, so James and Jonathan, how do you guys know each other? I, I was giving a talk at, uh, at Parsons for a friend. Uh, was it Greg Benton? John, is that right? <clears throat> uh, Greg and Jordan. Yeah, Greg and Greg Benton, Jordan, Nessup's class. And then um, we, uh, Greg let me know that he was a Hong Konger. And my wife, Abby Chan, is from Hong Kong also. So we had an instant connection. And the nice thing about John's work is it was actually really good. So, <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. So, um, yeah, we connected. And I was thinking this will be awesome. Whenever I go to Hong Kong, it'll be nice to talk to someone who definitely has skill. You know, and somebody who knows the New York scene as well. So we sort of became friends that way. Unless you want to tell a different version, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So I remember, I remember we met up, and then I took you for a beer oh. in the afternoon, right before you had a golf game. And I think I got you a little too drunk for your golf game. I remember that. That's all right. I, I had a hamburger before my last one, and it's just as bad. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah, that's a great cute meet, you guys. Well, I mean, what's nice, too, is that John, Jonathan always takes me out to great local places in Hong Kong to eat. Right, being the Hong Kong local. Yeah, now. so that's, don't tell him, but that's like 85% of why I hang out with him in Hong Kong. So. <laughs> um, yeah, so what are some of your favorite like local hangouts in, in uh, Hong Kong, Jonathan? Oh, um, well, I... I'm kind of more of a Kowloon kid, so I like to be on the Kowloon side mostly. But if the I'm dark ever side, is that what we side, call it? <laughs> yeah, they call it dark side. I, I actually prefer it, and I think anyone who hasn't been to the dark side is missing out heavily because all the good food, the cheap eats, you know, TST Jordan, uh, Yamate, like the the more I would say, I don't want to say dangerous areas, but the more the areas with a little more life, I would say. Um, Less polished uh, and you know, shiny, like island yes, side? Yes, correct. Okay. Yes, exactly. A little bit like my work, you could say. Um, but I would say one of my favorite places to hang out would be Yardbird mm. in Shangwan. Yes. Mostly because some of my friends work in F&B, so it's the only chance I get to see them. 
<laughs> I see. Um, so, I mean, this might be like a dumb question, but we are doing, you know, an Asian food podcast. So I have to ask, what role does Asian food play in your life? And are you guys Asian food lovers? Well, I wouldn't. Um, actually, when I first dated my wife, Abby, the first thing she said was she noticed that I had a, even though I grew up here, that I had an Asian stomach, so I could have a second date then. So that was a good thing. And um, def- definitely I have an Asian stomach. I'm sort of, I grew up in Oklahoma, so I'm sort yeah. of a cowboy on, on the inside, <laughs> which is... My biggest regret. You're layered. So on the outside, you look, I mean, you look Asian. Yeah. And then you have your cowboy layer, and then your stomach is totally Asian. Yeah. I'm like a, I see. I'm like a Napoleon. It's just like that. Yeah. Right. So, um, no, no, but my mom always cooked traditional Korean food, even when we were growing up. So she made kimchi in the, in, in the, in the garage. And we, of course, we were literally the only Korean family. So everybody had to find out what this was about. And even the kids would sometimes want to sneak in and, he would steal some kimchi for them to try in the afternoon and stuff, so that was pretty cool. So exotic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were the fancy ones on the block. What about you, Jonathan? I mean... Uh, yeah, um, I'm, I, I like what James said. Uh, I have an Asian stomach. Like, I would choose rice over bread for, for most of my meals, you know. Um, but I've got a thing for Chinese soup, and this is a little weird. I think a, friends, a lot of my friends find this really strange, but... I, I really, I think, I love bean sprouts. I don't know why. I just love bean sprouts and anything. <laughs> so you're talking about like the fresh bean sprouts? Yeah, like it doesn't matter how, whether it's in a like a mala hot pot or like, you know, just cooked up and fried up with some garlic. I, I just love bean sprouts. Some people would be like, put cheese on that. And you're like, no, let's put bean sprouts no, on that. No, no, no. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you look so healthy. All right. It, yeah, that is a really healthy choice. Well, good for you. And um, you. yeah, what are some of your favorite Asian dishes? Um, my mom, I don't know if a lot of Korean families do this, but my mom used to try to sell me that we were a royal family or part of the royal family somehow. And I don't buy it because I like all the peasant foods. You know, so like for <laughs> Korean food, I love um, budae you know, which is basically... That's the army stew, right? Yeah, the army stew. I'm down with that. I love paella, which is a similar... I know it's not Asian, but it's the same philosophy. And then in Hong Kong, I just love the breakfast at the Cha Cha Tang's, like mm-hmm. the very Hong Kong style. And I actually get ugly if I don't have that within two days of flying to Hong Kong. So I like the milk tea with the... Yeah, I like just that, the whole thing and the plastic stools. I can't get enough of that. And then... I eat a lot of Japanese food, too, so, like, I'm a big fan of all the very simple Japanese food. What about you, Jonathan? Uh, I've kind of got a thing right now for the, the gansong on whole, like the flat rice noodles, or is it flat noodles with uh, beef? That's just fried up. How do you translate that? Yeah, <laughs> that's good enough. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, and, and why, like, recently are you into that? Uh, I think I just went with someone to uh, Taiping Kun. You know, the, the it's like a local spot. It's super OG because all the waiters there are like really old men. And uh, it's just a very simple local, I mean, a simple dish you can get anywhere. But for whatever reason, I just had it there. And it was super like, you know, like the, the smells are really, really strong. Like, the, you know, 
I don't know what it is. I, I'm trying to think of the English word for hang, for shang. Do you know that? I don't know it. I don't know it off the top it's of my tongue. I'm we'll come back Oklahoma, to it. I don't know. Um, so, I guess, you know, it's really interesting to have um, you guys here uh, because you're in a very creative space that I don't really get to talk about very often. Um, how did you guys get into illustration and, and how did you choose this career path? I got into it because in high school, an, an illustrator that was from our high school came to give a talk. And I didn't even know that this, his name is Stan Watts and he was doing all the airbrush, you know, airbrush stuff like uh, for a lot of albums back in the 70s or 80s, like a hair band kind of thing. And, uh, it, and when I heard him talk, it was like, whoa, this thing is doable. So I just definitely decided that was what I wanted to do. And he, honestly, I couldn't really do anything else. Like I was good at math, but I'm a little bit absent-minded. So I was afraid that I would make bridges that would fall or whatever. So that, that was um, kind of how I got into it. And, and then my art teacher just happened to know one of the, like this super famous illustrator who like wrote me a nice little note and told me it was doable. And, and that illustrator's name was Alan Cover. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got into it. It was like other people told me it was a doable thing. And I wanted to be a cartoonist at first, like everybody else. But um, once I got into college, I realized that I, I just love doing, interpreting stories or uh, finding ways to put my images on different things like objects or in a poster. And I'm so old, like album covers were a thing. So when I graduated, they stopped making albums and only started making CDs then. So, <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah, that's kind of how it rolled back then, but it was a lot of fun. And then, um, James, how did you um, find your style, your aesthetic? It's so distinct. You know, like <clears throat> I tell my, when I teach sometimes, I tell my students this, which is that I basically, there, there was like a lot of art that I liked when I was. In college, uh, there was a Belgian illustrator named Jean-Michel Fallone. And a lot of kids don't know him now, but a lot of work, ironically, looks like his work. And then um, I was influenced by a bunch of people, so I just tried to draw the way that stuff that I liked looking at, but I didn't try to copy it. And then uh, every time that I would do work, I just kept trying to do a better version of myself, and it somehow just sent me on this path, if that makes sense. Oh, just some natural iteration there. Yeah, it was a little bit natural, and uh, it was kind of, I, I was very much a Saul Steinberg guy when I was starting out also, and you can kind of see that in my work now. And ironically, it was more at the beginning of my career, not so much in the middle, and now I'm kind of circling a little bit back to that now. Oh, okay. What about you, Jonathan? How did you get into illustration? Uh, so a number of things. I just grew up on comics, you know, and then um, I guess the right people kind of encouraged me, you know, like teachers and people here and there. Then I, you know, had that moment of truth and that spark. I went to New York City, and then I guess through a series of workshops, I kind of knew at the back of my mind I wanted to do it, but I don't know for whatever reason why. Were you, like, fearful why. of um, picking oh, this yeah, absolutely. career path? No, it was just like it was the scariest thing I've I've ever had to do at that moment in my life. You know, I'm just a teenager and it's my whole future. Um, but it it's something that I I think I had to do. Like I didn't really have a choice. Like I knew I just had to do it. Um, and then I I was contemplating graphic design for a while, only because I think it was the safer option. 
Um, mm-hmm. And I did an internship at a magazine and realized I'd... I mean, I learned a lot about print, but I realized I didn't want to do it. And it was just a simple workshop by one of my professors there that really just made me go, what am I thinking? This is what I'm supposed to be doing all along. And then, and then yeah, it just went from, from there. Did your parents give you grief about it? Because that never happens with Asian families, you know, right? <laughs> like, like ever? Uh, it, it, it took uh, many years of, for you know, people around me to understand, I suppose, like what this was really about. I think only maybe in the last five years uh, has everyone really just kind of opened up and just been like, no, you, we get it. This is who, what you're supposed to be doing. And they really appreciate and and we're really glad that I was so stubborn, I guess, about it. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. Like, it, um, my mom really wasn't for it. And my dad, my, actually my grandfather's a famous artist in Korea, so he was, ironically, he's the scientist, he was the one that was kind of for it. And my mom had doubts, so I definitely, I definitely get that, but my mom was from a more business side, which might be why I'm an illustrator, I guess I kind of mix the two together. Right, you want to go against your mom. Yeah, and it wasn't until like 15 years that my mom thought like, all right, it's like a legit... And I was doing stuff for the Washington Post for crying out loud back then, like in my 20s. And she, didn't th- she didn't think it was a real job until I, I managed to do a sculpture for the Smithsonian. And finally she's like, oh, okay, this, is, this might be a job. Yeah. And, and Jonathan, I asked James this, but um, how did you fall onto your very distinct style? How did you find your aesthetic? Um, I actually, I don't like the word style because it insinuates something, like you're trying to be something that you're not. But I think, um, you know, it's through certain, I guess, people guiding me. Like James one of them too back back when, just like, you know, if as soon as you get into the process of it kind of comes into its own, you know, like it, it serves the work. And then I guess for whatever reason now people recognize that work as, as mine. Yeah. You, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, you know, I... I I heard an interesting thing from an illustrator who, who's actually one of my heroes, Henrik Drescher, and he's, he's a pal of mine. Um, he said that everybody has sort of an architecture in their head, and it's how they see the world and build things. And I thought that's a pretty brilliant way to, like, describe that. Uh, yeah. If that makes sense. It's sort of like there's a natural way for you to see the world and organize it. And, and the hard part for a lot of artists is how do you find that part of you that's really honest? And then able to like process it, process. Right, I'm like sorry, embracing that. It. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, yeah, from like an outsider's view, like I see your mm-hmm. guys's work, I'm like, oh, that's. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean to like misuse the word style, but like, oh, that's so like James, or that's so Jonathan. I think it's a good thing, but probably if Jonathan is going to be honest, we that's probably the only way we can draw or know how to draw. Right, Jonathan? Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's an interesting yeah. way to... I never thought about that. Well, well, because things will probably look... Jonathan has a lot more rendering skill than I do. But probably things look funny to him until it <laughs> ends up a certain way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And There's it, only one answer, I think, for each project, in, in, for you, you know. Um, and then it's just like a matter of getting there, I suppose. Oh, that's great. And I even think that like growing up, when I see like Jonathan or... There's a lot of great Hong Kong artists now, or artists from Asia. You see, like this very con- intense, sort of complicated compositions that mm. are wonderful, and I think it has to do with where they grew up. I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, so that's why I have like Horizon Line. There's just <laughs> simplicity, and and I think that has something to do with it. And it's about the energy, the right. energy of where you grew up, and it kind of 
comes through. And, and I think it's pretty clear when I look at John Ensign's work. It's like, oh, yeah, he lives he in Hong Kong. Grew up in the, the city. You, you know, I'm sure you feel it when you look at it, too, yep. for sure. Ah, uh, interesting. Uh, I didn't ever thought of that. Um, so what's your process to, like, creating a piece of work these days? Um, like Jonathan, I guess, you know, you're in Singapore on a project. Um, could you walk us through how you're getting, like, immersed um, into the project and creating um, a scene for them? Yeah, sure. So, like, the it's a f- there's two um, large kind of uh, canvases that are at the front of the restaurant. They actually opened already. Um, so they're, they're blank right now and kind of waiting for me to put the work up. But so I go visit and I'll, you know, I'll talk to them and, and maybe find out, you know, try and figure out some kind of interesting concept where it's rooted from, what their intentions are. But they give me quite a bit of freedom, which is nice. But then what I do is just like in the context of the restaurant itself, uh, I look at things like the interior, uh, the color, how the work can maybe fit there. And then from there, I'll figure something out. So I do have an idea, which, uh, I won't get into it just yet, but then you know, like James said, my 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 work is is more, I guess you know, representational, follows rules of things like perspective, you know, um, and then there's like this for, for me, I guess in in coming to a place like Singapore and finding out what they want the work to be, uh, I'll just find different assets, I'll look at reference, I'll do sketches and find a way to compose it. And I, honestly, the the truth is. Like, if you look at some of these, like, you know, come to these areas and look at these areas with lots of food and outdoor eating, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of bustle to everything. So my work needs to emulate the senses, right? Not just what you see, but, like, the sounds, the smells, the taste, maybe. And I have a problem that many artists have, which is I tend to overwork a lot of it. So I need to kind of go back and eliminate it. And what, what, you, what you don't see in the work can be as important as what you do see. And that's actually what I actually envy a lot about James's work because he can break down ideas to its clearest definition. You know, like you only need exactly what you need and nothing more and nothing less. That's probably why we're friends. It's weird. I, I have a lot of friends like that, that we like each other because, you know, I could never do what Jonathan does. And, and I've, tr- I've tried to do complex things and it just looks like a huge giant mess. You know, and plus it's too much work, whatever. So, but, <laughs> You know, but then I know that, like, uh, they probably like what I do. Yeah, it's that whole thing where you sort of the grass is always greener. The, on the yin other and side. the yang. To- exactly. Coming yeah. together. Yeah. Um, f- um, there's one really well-known Hong Kong illustrator, Victor Nai, and she and I are pals, too. Yeah, I follow her on Instagram. And, and this is this is typical. Yeah, sto- like, like she and I were both working uh, full page for this one plan sponsor magazine, which is art directed by Sujin Buzeli, who's this fantastic Korean-American art director. And I was working on my piece, and normally I block out things in just rough color just for compositional sake. But then when I looked at my piece, I was like, wow, this is already finished. And then I, 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 I <laughs> sent it to, like, Victo, and I said, hey, Victo, 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was, it was just, it was just like, it, you know, just like random luck, like a monkey typing Shakespeare or something like that. But then I didn't hear from her from, like, three days. And then, like, three days, she was like, she was like, damn you, James, this thing took me three days to do. Well, she was, like, in it. She and, and was, like, had her phone off. And, and then when I saw it, it was, like, this really beautiful piece. And I was like, wow, maybe I could have spent, like, 25 minutes on my piece. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Way to rub it in. Okay. Yeah, and I think it literally, get it. You have and I think vision. it actually won, I think it won a gold medal that year, actually, from the Society of Illustrators, so... 
I feel like I deserve at oh, least you know what? a quarter of it, right? Man, James, I, en- I envy you so much. Like, when James comes to Hong Kong, he spends the morning just, you know, doing his work. Then he just kind of goes and has lunch and then hangs out in the afternoon. And, you know, maybe we'll meet up and then we'll eat something. And mm. it's like, wow, what a life. Yeah, what a, what a great day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much how I do here in New York, too. You know, it's, uh, how do you treat a job? Do you, like, work day and night, then? Is that basically your routine? Like, what do you do? Uh, me? Yeah, yeah, li- 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 like a typical yeah. day if you're not in Singapore. Let's say you got deadlines coming, like, how early and... Uh, to be honest, I actually prefer working into the night because there's no one to really bother you. You know, there's no, no calls, no emails. Um, I know that I'd act... Admittedly, though, like, you know, when you wake up early and get work done, you're more productive. So I think that's why you have the whole day. Like, you get the whole day, Right. right? Um, but I don't know, there's something about just putting on music at night and then getting lost a little bit. Sure. Oh, that sounds very yeah. romantic. I, I do that sometimes on Sunday nights, you know, but n- not like the way that you do it. I know, uh, man, it's, 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 not, it's not healthy, it's not good. I need to change that up a little bit, yeah. But from what time to what time are you doing that? Uh, so right now, I mean, I just finished uh, teaching. So um, usually if I'm in the studio and I'm working until late, then I'll means I'll wake up late. That means like, you know, like 10 a.m., 11 a.m. Um, and then I'll get started from there again. I see. I, I, was, I was working on a billboard project for Viacom, and suddenly I got stuck working hours like you guys, and my poor wife, yeah. I, I would like come out at the studio every 15 minutes and bitch. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm like a Foxconn worker for making little iPhones with my tiny child-like hands, you know, and then I go storming. <laughs> And I think I did storm out because I did have to work until like in the morning until eleven, mm-hmm. and it really oh, okay. not your thing. No, yeah. so and then I, I did storm out and it's like, and I think I told someone I was like, is this like what Victor and Jonathan go through? Like, <laughs> is, is, is this is this a <laughs> hell on earth? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Every, I think you, you pretty hit the you hit the spot there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then and then my wife went to work on a project in Hong Kong because she, she doesn't need to hear that sort of stuff. Like, <laughs> right. Day. <laughs> and then my schedule got back to normal now, so I'm I'm a happy clam well, again. Well, how long did it take? Uh, for you to work on that MTA project and did you also because like Jonathan's talking about how he immerses himself like physically in that space do yeah. you do that too absolutely um, ironically that <clears throat> that I probably put in Jonathan J. Lee hours on that oh on that piece. okay yeah and, and part of the reason why is like I don't, I don't remember how many millions of people ride the subway but it's I want to say 10 but it might even be like way higher than that <clears throat> so suddenly I'm thinking like I better, I better like better uh, pay attention. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, so that one, I there were sketch, rough sketches, which took me probably like a week to do, and then revisions because they had some notes. And then the final piece took me about like a. It took me. I think it took three days, day and night, and I may have complained about you and Victor's lifestyle again <laughs> when, when doing that, you know. And it was just like. It, it, it took a lot. Something like that takes a lot for sure. And then when I had to resize it for the wallpaper, that took a couple of days to figure out. But mainly because it was such a, it was so big, my computer could barely handle it. Um, yeah, so Jonathan, it's like you're doing a lot of um, work with, or at least a lot of the recent work I've seen. There's a lot of... Um, uh, pieces featuring food. So, are you getting like uh, a lot of clients from the FMB industry? 
Like they like one uh, restaurant sees it, and they also like another one kind of wants that. Or like, do you? Have, yeah, so like, I've, I've been quite lucky, I guess. Yeah, so I think it started with Holy Folk, mm-hmm. um, the black sheep restaurant up in Soho. Um, in Hong Kong. Awesome. In Hong Kong, yes, it's awesome spot. Um, they they were I think the first uh, like F and B maybe restaurant to to approach me. And I think that's where I got a lot of attention for it too, and it led to other projects with things like HSBC, for example, um, because a lot of people dine there. Um, yeah, I think it's it's like like James was saying about the MTA. He thought about how many people are are going to be visiting, and I guess I got lucky because you know I've I've always approached every project the same, which is just do the best that I can for the work, and then everything's out of my hands. But Holy Folk became you know super hot. Like they have. They have thousands of people go through every month. Um, Zhao is now like one of the top-rated chefs, um, and then they gave me a, a lot of a lot of freedom, you know. And there was this trust kind of built in there with like, oh yeah, you just you're the artist, you do the work, you'll take care of it. And for whatever reason, from there, I've just been lucky in that, you know, when you you get better and better work projects and clients, and you get you know the best clients get the best work out of you. And then I guess sometimes there's there's food related to it because you know it's very built in and ingrained <laughs> to to Hong Kong and and Asia in general. Um, yeah, the food part me, is just like, so integral. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think some of the other work you're seeing is for a is for Lee Kum Kee. They do like the sauces, soy sauce, oyster sauce, and then so I think that's where the food comes into the, that that series of work as well. Oh, that's really great. Um, yeah, so I guess for both of you, are there things you like to illustrate more than others, like subject matters? James? <laughs> um, lately, uh, I'm working on a book right now, um, which I can't talk about, but it's for Viking, and I'm doing some test things, but I've been drawing rocks. I know that doesn't sound exciting, <laughs> but I'm trying, I'm trying to draw mid-century rocks, like really nice well, mid-century so rocks. Yeah, so um, wow. I've been trying to do that, and then it's so funny. Like, I, I never thought of myself as a bird guy, but a lot of my metaphors include birds. Birds these days, and I like to usually do more ideas. So I, I really like my work to kind of follow whatever the concept is for something. But yeah, I seem to really like drawing rocks and birds. Sometimes birds <laughs> with rocks, and people seem to be asking for them. So like. Why not, right? <laughs> and they've been around, yeah. Constant yeah, yeah, yeah. demand for birds and rocks. You know what? And I love... Um, for some reason, I like drawing noodles. Maybe that's... I don't know if that's because uh. I'm Asian. Probably. Maybe it's because I go to Hong Kong and eat all the time. But I like drawing all kinds of noodles for yeah, some reason. Yeah, and you had like a noodle series with... Oh, I saw one on your website. Was it with... Um, Oh, I am Mama. Right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's a site for moms that's based in Hong Kong. Oh, there you go. Uh-huh. And it's mainly for moms in Japan, Hong, that whole that whole region there of Asia. So they pretty much let me just do my own stories for children, like 10 illustrations. And, of course, the experience to me is like a lot of the childhood, you know, like the Asian foods. So, of course, I had to do one about eggs, you know, because eggs are so good for you and, like, eggs are in everything. One of my favorite dishes is, like, the... Japanese omelet with the rice in it and yeah, the ketchup. Yeah, rice. Yeah, yes. so good. And then, and then. Um, so, do you immerse yes. yourself eating these foods as you draw them, or you don't really have to do that? I, you know what? I don't have to do that, but I have to remember what it's like. 
to enjoy doing that. In some ways, I need to misremember the experience. Oh, that's such an artist thing to say, misremember. Yeah. I learned that phrase from Tarantino, so. <laughs> um, is there anything you guys have ever turned down? How about, how about you, Jonathan? I, I know that you turned down more work than me, probably. Uh, I, I have been recently only because it's just the amount of time it takes me, and I realized, I used to say yes to everything, you know, but, but saying yes to everything means it lowers the quality of, of your work in general. I think it just, you know, you're, you're worn thin. Having said that, I don't like saying no in general, so I actually refer them instead. So I have a, a whole folder full of, you know, portfolios from students and graduates that I will refer um, in place of myself, if possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah actually, illustrators coach. will recommend other illustrators for projects sometimes. Yeah, you're like a strong yeah, network. Right. Well, because we may, not, we may not be a right fit for something, too. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I kind of have a designer head because Paul ran his, the father of American design. He always said that there's no such thing as a boring project, only boring solutions. So that, it kind of gets my ego that way where it's like I have to say yes, and it's like, all right, that sounds pretty typical but Paul Rand said so I got to take it on <laughs> so usually for me usually for me if I turn it down it may be like a honestly it'll be like a time issue also or occasionally it's just such a I can tell maybe I was like their fifth their their fifth choice for something oh there goes the ego again <laughs> well, well, yeah. well, well not so much but not so much this but it's almost like it's almost like James could you be more like a Blonde, oh, I see. A blonde surfer yeah. instead You're of... Like, this is just not a great match. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. be a middle-aged Korean guy. Be like a blonde 20-year-old surfer. It's like, I, I don't think I can do that. <laughs> you know, so if it's something like that where they want me to be somebody else... Yeah, because the honesty of your, like, you know, work is just going to come out. It's going to look like your... You know, and part of this experience, too, like I've tried that in the past when I was younger, mm. and it's really bad. So I'm saving them time. I'm saving... You know, That's I'm true, saying yeah. a lot of people aggravation. It's like, you know what? If you don't, if you don't love me for who who I am, it's just <laughs> it's just not going to work. Yeah, this is something you learn with age. Yeah, yeah. Of course, when you're when you're young, you try it all. I was like, oh yeah, I can do the, I can be I the can blonde. Be blonde. Yeah. I, can, I can be a lifeguard. Yeah, sure. Why right. not? Yeah. <laughs> all right, we're gonna take a really quick break, and we'll be right back with more Feast Meets West. This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, that provides offices, co-working, event spaces, and a brand new podcast recording room. Have you been dreaming of starting your very own podcast in Brooklyn? You can now rent space in 100 Bogart's custom-built podcast room to record interviews, voiceover, and commentary. The room is fitted out with two microphones, mixing board, and a MacBook Pro running Pro Tools. You can rent the space by the hour, and a rental of an hour or more includes a 100 Bogart co-working pass. That means complimentary coffee, tea, and access to your own desk for the rest of the day. So what are you waiting for? Get started on your next audio project. 100 Bogart has the space and amenities you need to kickstart your podcast. Learn more at 100bogart.com or call their team at 718 362 3539. Are you enjoying this show? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Luke Griffin, and I'm the host of Bushwick Podcast. Each week, 
we share the remarkable stories of how artists, activists, and entrepreneurs collide in Bushwick, a special Brooklyn neighborhood that's changing faster by the day. You can find Bushwick Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West. Um, And uh, I wanted to ask you, James and Jonathan, you guys do travel a lot. So have you worked some of your um, experiences or like anecdotes that you've collected along the way into your work? You want to go first, Jonathan? Um, sure. I, I guess the, the experience, I mean, the experience for me is is mostly just the education, right? It's like, you know, you can't really, I mean, if I'm going to work on something that is specific to a location, I need to be there. Um, and... Luckily, in I guess in more recent years, the, you know the budgets allow me to to come to these places. But in the past, it was just images, so I have to imagine it, you know, which is also my job. But again, it's just you know, um, if you can be there amidst like the sweat of the chefs working, or you know, the the, the smell, or like you know the the water, the the plastic um, chairs, as James was saying, you know, then then you can really experience it better for whoever is looking at your, your work. Um, I would say, so uh, there is not so much from travels, but when I was younger growing up, I had one um, client ask for a, he just gave me complete freedom and said, I love, you know, karaoke nights, I love uh, the Tan Tanks, and I love, you know, the Red Light District, and Wong Kar Wai movies, so do whatever you do. And then ultimately I thought back to our, you know, growing up in Hong Kong and those days we'd, we'd stay out really late, you know, drinking. I'm sure you remember these, Linda. And then everyone would end up at Choi Wa in Central, right. like at 2 or 3 a.m., just eating something. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that's, what did it feel like? What do we actually look like? You know, like everyone's kind of sweaty, a little gross. We're all hungry. And, yeah, so that's kind of what I imagined for, for a piece I did called uh, A Night Out. Love that. Do, do you ever sketch when you're traveling these days, or are you are you a sketch guy when you're not working? Uh, not particularly. I, my my sketching is mostly just like when I'm not thinking about anything. You know, like I'm letting go and just putting pen to paper. When I get to work, though, it's just it's mostly it's it's like get to work. So I'll I don't sketch on the go as much as I used to. Yeah. That's why we get along. We we think the same way like that. Uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm I'm not a sketch guy, and it's okay to be you know. I get jealous of other illustrators that go traveling and they have these beautiful sketchbooks. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. I don't do that. So. They're like sitting there with a, their latte and their croissant. And they're they're enjoying themselves. Yeah. No, I mean, and I, I kind of wish I was that guy. But I'm more of a mm. sponge guy. And I've, I've mentioned this to other people before. Like, What's a sponge guy? I just like to absorb everything. And I'm almost like a little three-year-old just staring at stuff, you know? And I just like to soak everything in. And I will shoot pictures and occasionally I, I just like to absorb things when I'm around and then somehow when I'm doing ideas for the next assignment probably the color scheme is a little bit different because of where I've been and then even, uh. even, even I'm sure just the fact that I have been to Hong Kong so much definitely changed a lot of the ways that I think about color and then it even kind of got me it almost gave me a flashback even working for the I Am Mama projects mm-hmm. and then I remember that there was this great children's book that my mom showed me that was Korean and she had come to my class in second grade dressed in traditional Korean garb in Oklahoma 
blew everybody away, by the way. And then it was, it was showing <laughs> Thanks, this. Mom. Yeah, and they're like showing this illustrated book, and I, I remember the color scheme so well, you know. And in my head, it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's how you do cool color scheme sort of Asian style. So I'm definitely affected. I just came back from Vienna, so I'm affected by the colors. But from that too, it just sort of it all just sort of absorbs and then comes out in different ways. Oh, like a palette spilling out. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of that. And sometimes it's just, um, it's the same thing, like I told you before. Sometimes I like to be away, and I'll just misremember my experience. And that helps make things a little bit, hopefully, special. Um, also, as an uh, Asian, or I guess Asian-American artist, um, do you try to represent Asian culture in your art? Do you feel like that is, like... I guess with like Jonathan's work, um, there's some that are very obvious and it actively figures on the forefront of the subject matter. But I guess like for your work, um, James, do you think about like Asian culture um, in any of your work? It's a good question. I'll probably be up tonight thinking about that while I'm in my onesie. <laughs> no, I saw so I saw you did this project for uh, like like Korean Americans, like history of Korean Americans, oh, like right, right. the content. Yeah, it like addresses this, right? Yeah, oh, that's doy. Yeah, that's right. I did an animation for, for this one group down in D.C. about that. Um, I would say con- not consciously, mm-hmm. you know, because I was an only, I was like the only Korean kid in Oklahoma growing up, you, you know. So, you know, you, the pressure to assimilate, Yeah. I guess. And I thought of myself, frankly, when I started up, it was like, I want to be more like the Eastern European illustrators coming out, you know. And then... Somehow it just morphed into its own thing. And then once I got together with Mrs. Yang from Hong Kong, it's almost like this touching story, like, I go back to my roots. <laughs> you know, and then suddenly little things just subtly come out, maybe spatially mm. and compositionally, because actually a lot of the ways, um, especially the Japanese, do compositions. And, and Taiwanese is pretty, it's pretty elegant. And Koreans are doing really beautiful stuff these days, too. So... Things about composition and space maybe catch my eye a lot now and sort of affects the way that I draw. I, I, I'm conscious that I'm like um, an Asian-American illustrator for sure because when I, was start, when I was starting out, I'm probably one of the only, one of the first ones actually. I mean, the only one I can think of at the time when I was going in was, was one older Jap. well, I, I won't say older, she was a veteran, <laughs> uh, Kanyoko Kraft, who's, a, who's this wonderful Hall of Fame Japanese illustrator. But, um... Now you're surrounded by us, man. Yeah, now, now I can't, I, I can't, like, go anywhere without, like, yeah, they're, and they're all surpassing me, like, I have all these tire tracks on my back now, there's so many <laughs> very talented young, you know, Asian illustrators. It's crazy. Um, Jonathan, do you hang out with other illustrators in, in Asia? Uh, actually, not not really, no. Like, I've, I've always been kind of, not a loner, just like, I have, of course, friends in the industry, and I, I deeply respect them. We'll get together once in a while. But most of my friends come from different, you know, walks of life. A lot of them mm-hmm. came from, you know, originally business education, and they're all kind of doing their own thing now. So, you know, F&B, um, one's a couple are barbers, actually. One just opened his own shop in Central. Um, yeah, everyone's doing their own thing. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, so for those that want to pursue a career in illustration, um, and maybe they're coming from like a 
Asian background with like parents that don't really get it. Um, what advice do you have for them? How do you make it as an artist? Well, like Jonathan, uh, James. Well, like Jonathan said, the reason why I, I think I it helped for me to make it is I I literally had no plan B. Mm, okay. If you think that way. Yeah. Well, if you think that way, but probably it's realistic too. Like, <laughs> yeah. like oh geez, I better make this work. You know. So, I think that's a lot of it. But then a lot of it is that. Um, my, my big advice is that you, you just have to learn to take baby steps and keep growing. Persistence is the big is the big one. You know, get a little bit better each day and then be very open, especially during your learning years, like to, to suggestions, how to improve your work. And it's a weird balance because you have to learn how to find your voice while being open to all these suggestions. That this, Criticism. Yeah, and it's hard. You know, when I was younger, I was very, very defensive. And as I get, as I get older now... Sometimes I'm just, I'm actually happy when an art director gives me a no because it's like oh my gosh that that just saved me a lot of time, you know. And I don't I don't know how Jonathan reacts to notes, but like uh, I've definitely chilled out more. But I think it also helps that I understand. You know, as you get older, you learn that um, where where art directors and clients are coming from too. So you you realize it's not like an us versus them thing. It's like oh we're all trying yeah, to work it's together. Part of the, it's part of the process. Yeah. I I, I could um, see Jonathan being like when he was younger, like, that's not my vision. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That totally was, man. Like, uh, but part of it, too, was maybe just, like, I didn't necessarily trust or respect the people I was working with. And I, you kind of got to earn that over over time, you know? Uh, but like I said, I've been getting quite lucky, so you get better, you know. I've, I've, they just keep getting better and better, just, like, art directors, clients, buyers, whatever it is. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty uh, stubborn about certain things in my work, only because uh, it's it's my work, you know what I mean? Like I feel very strong. It's like how it's seen, how people perceive it. But having said that, there are moments when you're making the work where you're just very free about it. Um, advice for those who want to pursue a career in illustration. Yeah, what do you tell your students? Oh, uh, so that's the thing. I'm not. I don't have a, a definitive answer, and I think that's partially why I teach, so I can just be part of the, the process for them. Um, but I, I think the main quality that I see that is necessary is just like perseverance, maybe just like this desire to really want it, you know. Um, and I would say too, I mean, let's assume every artist that we're training is excellent and has their own distinctive voice and narrative. The other side would be business, because that's not something that many institutions will will give you knowledge on necessarily. Yeah, that, because very true. Yeah, yeah, you're your your own businesses, and uh, as yeah. when you take the creative path, most often it's not with like full time work at a typical company and like nine to six checking in and out. And it's kind of a hard thing to ask uh, to be an illustrator in a weird way. It's like we want you to be this very creative person, but you also have to have your other half of the brain to be this very business person. So, I think it's a honestly it's a big ask, and I'm not judgmental of artists who have a hard time handling that because I think it's sort of an opposite thing that your ass are kind of mashed together and you're kind of lucky if you're able to figure out both halves of that I think yeah. you, you know I, I think persistence though is the big thing because I had I have two um, former students when I when I do teach sometimes who became big and the biggest thing I noticed about both of them were they were both very hardworking and even when I gave them an A on an assignment they would ask me how they could make it better. So yeah, they, it wasn't enough. Right. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so then, like, when, you, when, you, when I heard that, I was like, oh, yeah, these two are definitely going to make it. And they did. So it was amazing. I think that, that kind of added, okay that attitude well because every illustrator that's out there that you see I'm, you know um, even though they might they might be very carefree on the outside they're all we're all very serious about what we do it's just that yeah. we have different ways yeah, of true. dealing with that sort of focus or whatever yeah I love that um, what's something you're working on now that you can share with us well, well, currently I'm sort of on call with the New York Times for their this week, for their editorial page, and it's it's like the great British British baking show. It's almost just like this quick thing where it's like, all right, James, you got a few hours. Here's a story, and, Ooh, they, and, they, and they, so it's like a game. Yeah, and, and they booked they booked me, and it's with Hannah K. Lee, who's this wonderful uh, young Korean American art director from L.A. And, and I love working with her. So I'm like, I'm like, what? We can work together for the whole week? Sure, why not? So that's one of the gigs I'm doing, right? I didn't, and then the rocks thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm doing this book that's going to involve rocks. I, I swear to God, it'll be more exciting than that. And and then I'm working on something. Um, I I got a couple things going on, like like a p- couple possible mural things that could happen. And then I'm working on kind of a big project for the um, the Washington Post that'll happen in a couple of months or whatever. Wow, so you always have a few things that you're juggling. Yeah, I'm always hoping that's the way it is, yes, for sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> what about you, Jonathan? Do you um, have multiple things going on at, at the same time? Uh, yeah, yeah. it's always, I guess, so, yeah. So, like, besides this this uh, project in Singapore for Izzy, Izzy Restaurant, um, I'm doing a small project with Nat Geo. Um, actually, I'm not even sure. I'm supposed to talk about that. Uh, and then I'm doing a Indian. workshop next weekend at Apple. Nice. Like an Apple workshop. I think James did one in in in, in New York, right? Like yeah. One of the Apple stores. That'll be uh, that'll be fun. Then I might. But yeah, it's, it's quite it's quite it's basically like teaching, you know, just like making sure you prep every single minute, you know, that you're that you're up there. And then after there's a few conversations which I can't really get into. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of exciting projects coming kind of all over the world right now, which I'm very lucky to have. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the way you guys talk about it, it's very inspiring. Um, Thank okay, you. before we wrap up the show, we're gonna do a round of quick fire questions. It's meant to be oh. fast, so please just share what comes to mind first. Oh no. <laughs> All right, first question. Oh God, no. What's next on your travel list? Where are you going next? Hong Bangkok. Kong. Hong Kong for you, James? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hong, All right, Hong, that was an easier answer. Hong, Hong Kong, Chiang Mai. Yeah. Okay. Um, what about you, Jonathan? Uh, Bangkok. Oh, Bangkok. Is that yeah. for like work as well or pleasure? Not really. I think it's, it's kind of for play, but I'll be working there. Um, for the couple weeks, yeah. Very cool. Um, favorite city for Asian food? Ooh, um, Taipei. Wow, that's a good one. I'm going to have to say Fukuoka at the moment. That changes oh. all the time. Mm. Yeah, as it should, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, favorite Asian restaurant in the world right now? Oh, this will... Mama, Lu, Lu, Mama Liu's in um, Vienna. In Vienna. <laughs> That's Whoa. unexpected. That's cray cray, right? Yeah. The, How? <laughs> and, I, I uh, was teaching a workshop, and then we, okay. um, 
And then, and then the, the designers who invited me knew the owners of this restaurant. And the chef, I think he's like this, he's a son who's a little, I don't know if he's autistic or something, but he can see flavors in his head. So he doesn't even oh, need to like make recipes. He just knows what, what the thing is. So he like brought ratatouille. out. ratatouille? Yeah. So then he just brought out these dishes and he's from Chengdu, I think. So as you know, the food is crazy apparently there. And yeah, my wife, we were blown away. We were like, holy cow, this might be one of the best Chinese places I've eaten. And there's so many good places here in New York, even on, you know, right. popping or up. Right, in Asia, but in Vienna. Uh, oh, it blew me. And the crazy Vienna, thing. Yeah. The nutty thing is, it's like there was all these Austrians in there, packed, and, and they were getting like the spiciest hot pot thing. I, did, I was like, wow, I didn't know that Austrians liked spicy food, but there you go. <laughs> That's so interesting. Um, what about you, Jonathan? Do you have a favorite uh, yeah. Asian restaurant right now? It's always going to be, I think it's the first like appreciation I've ever had of, of food in general, and it still is, is still Ronin in Hong Kong. What's that like? So Ronin, Ronin is actually like just a restaurant to Yardbird, but it's it's very, very much the opposite. So they do a lot of fish. It's like their take on. I think it's just the environment. It's the presentation. It's all those little details, like the kinds of glasses that they use, or even just like the the countertop, or you know, um, the hidden doors to the bathroom. It's just it's it's everything of the whole experience. I think which opened my eyes to the world of food and beverage in general. That's really great. So you can take me there when I'm in Hong Kong, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. thanks for bringing me before. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, now man. that is public knowledge. Um, favorite city overall right now? Oh, can't answer that. Ooh, that's... That's a tough one. It's got to be... For me, it's got to be in Japan. I don't know if I'm Korean, actually, right? Like, maybe I was adopted. I think my mom brought up the wrong baby. <laughs> yeah, you're, you've been talking about Japanese food a good bit and, like, Japanese composition. Yeah, it's weird. It would have to be, like... I do like Taipei, though, too. Whoa, you just you just blew my mind with that question. I thought I'd have an answer. Yeah. You know, because I... It's okay. You guys, it sounds like you guys are citizens it, of the world. So. Is Scotland a city? I like Scotland. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I'm going to go with Hong Kong, though, still, all the way. Awesome. I love that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's basically it. That wraps up our show. Thank you guys for your answers and for sharing your stories. Oh, well, thanks for giving us uh, an excuse to, like, catch up. That's great. Yeah, yeah that's and build out yeah. your Hong Kong list. Um, all right. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Did you enjoy this episode? What do you want to hear more of? If you haven't already, please leave us a rating and review. Wherever you get your podcasts, we truly appreciate it. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. That's July 17th with another awesome conversation from the world of Asian food. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.